Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 26, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, good to have y'all both on on a, a unseasonably chilly uh, Sunday night, but we're excited about the show. we got plenty to discuss. And we're having an exciting new guest from north of the border, uh, from Lean Toss-Up. Um, you know, they're a polling electoral projection firm. I guess they actually use polls to make projections. Evan Scrimshaw is going to be on the show. Uh, so real excited because he's going to talk to us about mainly American politics. I do have one Canadian question. Um, but somebody from north of the border to how they view American politics down here. Um, so that'll that, that'll be interesting here in about 20 minutes into the show. But until then, we've got all kinds of things to discuss. And seemingly since we're in Georgia, and Georgia has become kind of maybe the focal point of how um, coronavirus is handled and what's the timeline to open things up, because I think there were people that were wanting to look at open things up, but they weren't wanting to open things up. Friday, and they definitely were not wanting to open certain things up like, oh, bowling alleys and tattoo parlors. Um, but early in the week, Brian Kemp made a decision, Georgia governor, that they were going to open up a whole host of you know, locales uh, throughout the state. And then on Monday, in-person dining opens up, um, and they've explained, I saw, I guess it was Sanjay Gupta, and how restaurants, even though they might seem more essential than other things, that they actually lead to a spread because of how long people sit there and, you know, everything going on. And there was a visual graphic that was very informative. Um, but this pretty shocking decision. Uh, so I've laid this thing out. Catherine, what were your thoughts on, you know, the decision just to open up all these places? Uh, I was horrified. <laughs> Uh, and disgusted out of um, political uh, hay to make on on this. I think there's also uh, a lot of financial and economic um, reasons for this that they didn't uh, really haven't shared as uh, widely as they should have. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a horrible idea. I mean, all all signals point to a um, a June twenty second uh, day, you know, date of um, a, peak, a peak day for us. And here we are, you know, a month, two months uh, early for that. I, I just think it's a horrible idea. 
I'm very proud of a lot of businesses who decided not to open, even though they could. Um, and I'm, and I certainly understand the difficulty facing the businesses that chose to open because they wanted to take care of their employees, and because of the way the order was written, it you know limits uh, some unemployment insurance to people who did decided not to go back to work if their businesses were opening, and it's just a very complicated and unfortunate decision. Yeah, Catherine, I think you've hit on an important point in that it may be that it wasn't that Brian Kemp expected or wanted all these businesses just to fill up. It's, we'll have somebody to flip on the lights, open the door. There really won't be that many customers, but now people, workers, can't get unemployment benefits. Uh, Tim, what is some of your take on this? Uh, yeah, Catherine mentioned too much. Uh, that, that's interesting. But uh, the University of Washington uh, uh, has a department called the Institution for Health Metrics and Evaluation, and they do scientific models. Um, and their model says that we should not begin to reopen uh these types of businesses until June the 22nd, you know, about two yeah. months from now. It's not a question of where we're going to open. Of course, you have to reopen sometime. It was a question of when. Uh, even, you know, the White House, even they had laid out uh, a directive that states, should see their numbers dropping for two consecutive weeks before they begin to reopen. No state has done that, not even one, certainly not Georgia, who is just now about to hit their peak of of cases. Um, th this took his own advisory group by surprise, Kemp we're talking about here. Um, I, I can see, you know, you know, t talking about opening some things up, but but tattoo parlors, I mean, I mean bowling alleys, I mean, the beauticians and barbers and gyms, these are the very places where people are going to be in close proximity to each other. They talk about observe social distancing. How are you going to do that in a barber shop where they got to put their hands on you? You know, how are you going to do that? If you're going to get a massage, uh, no, no, that's another thing. No major health officials agreed with Kemp's decision, or, or not any that I've seen. Uh, Trump even criticized it publicly. So he's he's taking a gamble here, and uh, you know, he's he's got, you know, it's if, if it works, he'll be okay, and if 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 this doesn't work uh, not only is he going to get hammered but you know a lot more people are going to get sick than than should have and the, the mayors of these all the major cities in this state uh are, are, are very nervous about this and opposing this move so you know good here we go i guess there's no stopping it now yeah um I think you're right that he, you know, this didn't go well. Brian Kemp was probably assuming there was a Democratic president. Um, I, I thought he 
was in probably safer political shape for 2022. This may now define his governorship, um, even hopefully so. Coronavirus is not uh, still a major issue in the la- on the landscape in November of 2022. Um, it's well, still going to be something that people are going to remember. It's just going to be too big, you know, to forget um, how yeah, you handle uh, well, it goes poorly. It, 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 there's two major decisions, major, major decisions he's made recently that people are going to remember. One is him getting out there this past week and making this announcement. And the other thing is going to be his appointment of Kelly Loeffler to the to the Senate. Uh, I, I, I certainly hope the the first thing I mentioned goes better than than the last thing I mentioned. Uh, so you know, as of today, guys, Georgia has over has twenty three thousand four hundred and one cases as we came on the air, and nine hundred and twelve deaths. And those numbers are rising. So, uh, you know, yeah, and, and I'm top, top, I'm isn't it in. like in the top 15 states? <laughs> it it, um, it has been in rates. the top 12 states the entire yeah. time. It's been one of the worst states. And, and I heard today that there are only six states that have done a worse job of testing people than Georgia. Yeah. I mean, obviously, six if there was a federal national cohesive response you would have picked a different state than georgia uh to do it in but of course everybody's just kind of getting to run their own playbook because there's not a cohesive national strategy but let's get into the politics with donald trump about this he Mm -hmm. like you said tim he even said oh he didn't like it but then of course there's reports that say that both donald trump and mike pence told brian Kemp, good job and then the um, uh, medical official said, no, 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 this is not a good job. You must, you know, speak out against this. And then he decided to speak out against them. Of course, that goes back to Kelly Loeffler because apparently reported today he's so angry still about not picking Doug Collins that he holds it against Brian Kemp. Um, Catherine, what do you make of how Donald Trump and Brian Kemp have been interacting? Well, I think uh, Brian Kemp, you know, still has the tire tracks on his back for being thrown under the bus. I mean, <laughs> it was it was a swift turn of events there, wasn't it? You know, he was uh, sort of in the back pocket of yeah. of the president, and then all of a sudden he made this announcement, and a day later he was being criticized. Um, I think it's pretty typical. Um, behavior from the president you know he uh he changes course so quickly that it's hard to keep up someone under the bus if it's gonna you know make him look smarter or more competent or anything make him look good better in any way uh so i mean i i was slightly surprised because i thought that uh you know Opening the state back up would be a would be something that that the president would appreciate and admire. But uh, then again, not surprised that he would, you know, make a swift turnaround. He's like a big yeah. Baby. It, it was just a, 
Yeah, and I mean, still, there were could have opened up before Georgia, and you could have probably done kind of a matrix of how essential is it, how risky is it, and when you start putting that matrix together, you come up with a different list of businesses, um, you know, than than certainly bowling alleys because people <laughs> share balls, they share shoes, um, and it's obviously not the most you know necessary thing there is um, in our state or our, our world. Um, but now let's get into another uh, component of Donald Trump this week, and you know. Had he, you know, like have said, oh, well, um, you know, Brian Kemp, you know, jumped the gun, they shouldn't have done it, and his corona brief, uh, you know, press briefings kind of ended there for the week as far as the, you know, shock value news, it might have been an upswing for him. But I believe it was on Thursday, because Friday he didn't take any questions, but on Thursday he probably said the most asinine thing he said at any of these briefings is probably going to uh, be something that's going to haunt him, not only for the rest of his presidency, his term, possibly it's going to be one of those things that he's kind of known for um, in history. He gets up there and he talks about how, you know, Lysol, if you spray it, you know, on the virus, on a, say, a kitchen countertop, it kills it within under a minute and says, you know, if there's a way we could inject that into our lungs, um, which, you know, it would you'd kind of be going, we really elected this guy president? Are we kidding? But we found out that there have been 30 calls or more to the New York, um, you know, emergency authorities about people trying this. Maryland's gotten calls about people trying this. I'm sure the other 48 states have too. Um and then there's the whole thing about light. The virus doesn't like light. He wanted to somehow shoot light up in someone. We didn't get quite as you know deep into the um, anatomy of that. Tim, what in the world was going on there? Well, the chief scientist of the um, DHS got up first, a fellow by the name of Bill uh, Bryan. And he was talking about research that shows that the virus doesn't live as long in sunlight. He also mentioned heat, but that hasn't been proven yet. And so, well, Trump gets up and starts his rambling. It's one of these two-hour press conferences, and his aides have been scared to death this was going to happen. And he turned to Brian first and started musing. So supposing... We hit the body with a tremendous, whether it's ultraviolet or just a very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been uh, checked because of the testing. And then I said, supposing we, you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or, or some other way, and I think you said you're going to test that now. And the guy's just looking at him like, what? If only he had stopped there. Then he turned, <laughs> bless his heart, to doc, to Dr. Burks. And I'll never forget the look on her face. He said, I, I, I see the disinfectant that knocks it out in a minute. One minute. 
And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost the cleaning? As you see, it gets in the lungs. It does a tremendous number on the lungs, so it would be interesting to check that. I, I was watching that live. I, I, I was. I, I, oh no, no, no. He did. He didn't. And and the look on that poor woman's face and, and and she tried to mumble something about you know we haven't you know that's not a treatment we've tried or and uh how, how do these experts stand to be around him I, i'd like to ask that question if anyone here has an answer how do they stand it Catherine, um he's got a very good brain and of course tim <laughs> got a question there What's your thoughts on all this? I just can't even. <laughs> I just can't even believe it. It's um. It's just hard hard to imagine going to that that going to that place in the middle of a press briefing. Okay, so maybe you have this thought. I, I mean, it's as crazy it is. And maybe, you know, you want to run with just the stream of consciousness discussion about it. Well, you don't do it at the dais of a media event. You do it in the privacy of the of your office, and you sit, sit down and you say, what about this? And they all say, that's ridiculous. <laughs> don't mention it again. And then, you know, on you go. But to do to do that sort of like rambling, uh, it was it was just unbelievable. It, it, it's uh, you know I just keep saying horrifying. It's horrifying the whole the whole kitten caboodle. And you know, well, David, look, like you said, there's Catherine, people who are tr- trying it. Yeah, Catherine. Uh, now after that. On Friday, they were only out there 20 minutes, took no questions, and they didn't show their faces the whole weekend. You think Trump maybe has learned his lesson or dare no. I even ask that? <laughs> yeah, he, he's kind of like a teenager that gets in trouble. And then, you know, oh, yeah, I've learned my lesson, I've learned my lesson, and then it'll screw up again. I don't know that he's truly learned his lesson. It's kind of He touched the fire. It's hot. I won't touch the fire until I forget how hot it is. Like, give it three weeks. Yeah, but David, um, but David, but David, seriously, the maker of Lysol had to put out a statement, a warning against doing something that the president of the United States stood in the White House press room and asked about doing. Did you ever dream? We'd be even talking about something like this tonight. Well, that Here. goes back <laughs> to the absolute crux of the problem, what we've been seeing, particularly almost overwhelmingly in the Republican primaries. Um, it's an aversion to, you know, being intellectual. It's a kind of, they've become a very anti education party. And they they're gonna have to fix that in their own party. To where they don't just, um, you know, pick the the dumbest person running for office, 
And that's just what it's gotten to be in the Republican Party. That doesn't mean all Republicans are dumb. We have a lot of guests on our show, and I don't think we'll be dumb guests on our show. I think they're smart. I think they all need to get together and say, look, we've got to start picking smart people. When you have a job and people send in their resumes and they do the interview, you don't usually pick the dumbest one for the job. What in the world's going on with that party where they pick a Donald Trump to be their nominee out of 16 people for president? Now you have uh, – you can probably name countless U.S. Senate races. The one up north of us in Tennessee comes to mind. I don't think Senator Blackburn's probably the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer. It keeps going on. That party has got to fix it where they stop electing these people uh, to nominate them. Because I know it's like, oh, well, the Democrats are evil, so they're not going to vote for the Democrats. So therefore, if they have a better choice on their side, we wouldn't be forced to suffer through these people. Um, But Catherine, what does the Republican Party do with this? Donald Trump has nine to one more mentions than Joe Biden, and that's almost good for Joe Biden. He doesn't need the ball, does he? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness Well I think they just have to I mean you're absolutely right Someone needs to have The Republicans need to Or not not one All of them Need to step up and say Hey this is This is not The way a president Behaves But they're never going to do that I mean, like the the governor of Maryland has been pretty outspoken. He's a Republican, but but not really. I mean, he's he's talked around it a little bit, but uh, you know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna because they realize the wrath of of uh, the president is a lot to, to deal with. I don't know. Well, there's several things driving this. Fear is one, as Catherine just mentioned. They are fearful of Trump. Number two, well, he won, so they figure their future has to lie with him or they won't win. It's all about W's and L's. And they'll say, well, we get our judges and all that, so, you know. Well, well, Tim, speaking of W's and L's, we're going to um, uh, bring in our guest who's going to tell us about some projections here in a second from Lean Toss Up. I want to welcome to the Kudzu Vine, Mr. Evan Scrimshaw. Welcome, Evan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite an honor. Yes. Well, it's, it's great to read what you and Robert, uh, your partner, have been putting on the Internet, and we're going to get into that here in a second. Um, but just first off, since this is your first time being on the show, uh, give our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, any political highlights within that. So uh, I am a so Rob and I are both Canadians. Uh, we have we Rob created the uh, created Lean Toss Up as a as a way to better analyze elections, and we've been extremely successful in uh, Canada, the UK, the 2019 gubernatorials in the US, and. Uh, Per friend of Link Ossip's, uh, Jack Kirsting's metrics, we were the second most accurate forecaster in the Democratic primary. Um, Rob and I have 
uh, a long track record of, I mean, long in the sense of we have a bunch of elections we've called correctly. Um, but this is our first cycle projecting the U.S., but certainly uh, the uh, primary results make us feel pretty confident that we're doing this well and that we're, we're, we're hitting the right notes in terms of how the U.S. will, will vote in, uh, what, seven months now, I believe? Getting closer, a lot, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, it was a good it was a good first year for us to have a bunch of um, provincial elections in Canada, the federal election in Canada, and the uh, UK election before the primaries, so we could sort of get our feet wet, learn some best practices, and uh, and see what works and what doesn't. Yes, well, now um, your firm projects elections: Canada, UK, America. I'm sure you may have more countries down the road. Um, besides election projections, does your firm do anything else? Uh, when there's golf, I write about golf for the site because uh, I like golf. Um, but uh, with the with the sports hiatus right now, uh, we're, we're we're digging into we're digging into the uh, to the election analysis. Uh, if and when sports come back, there may be announcements that we will be making about expansion of coverage. Sure thing. Well, um, let me ask you. I'm gonna. I got Catherine and Tim, my co-host on here. They're gonna ask you more questions about the model and everything else. But I wanted to ask you a Canadian question. Um, I know y'all had y'all's member of parliament elections, and, of course, that's the prime minister election uh, a few months ago. And um, the, you know, Liberal Party maintained power. But at the same time, the western part of the country, other than, I guess, Vancouver, got more uh, conservative. And it didn't stop at city lines, if you will. And what I'm, you know, kind of getting at here is, I know in America, even if a state's very red, you know, Nebraska's very red, but Omaha has a lot of Democrats. Uh, Montana may, you know, have a lot of red area, but some of the cities will have Democratic governors and, you know, members of, um, you know, their local state assemblies and whatnot. In Calgary, if I'm not mistaken, there are no liberal members left of parliament, and there may be other cities in the western part of Canada that are the same. How come those cities have also gone conservative and not just the suburban and rural areas around them? That's a really interesting question, and, uh, you know, I I knew you were going to ask it. Um, But uh, it's because – well, it's two things. It's regional disaffection and oil. Um, Calgary, Edmonton, and then the the cities in Saskatchewan, the the neighboring province to to Alberta's east, uh, they're really rich on – oil and resource revenues. And so they, during good economic times, they were basically, they they were rich because of things happening around them. And it was liberal governments that have been less friendly towards uh, oil development, resource extraction and stuff like that. So it's partially that, you know, they've looked at it and they've said, these are the people who are protecting the thing that makes us rich, the thing that keeps our house prices high, the things that keep our economy doing well. And then the other thing is that the Liberal Party, like um, 60% of Canada's population is in Ontario and Quebec. So the Liberal Party has a historic tendency to basically try and get government out of Ontario, Quebec, and kind of ignore the rest of the the country. And so it leads to regional resentment. So even if you are – even if you were a sort of like a centrist person in Calgary – you wouldn't necessarily vote for the liberals because you think that the liberals have a certain form of contempt for your your home, your place, because they never go there. They never spend money there. They never spend 
time or energy or mobilization. They never make policies designed for the West. They make policies designed for Toronto, Montreal, and they just hope that can get them government. And most of the time, it is enough to get them government. So the the liberals never spend any time or energy trying to build a base in those places, whereas, you know, generations of Democratic politicians have, have learned to work Omaha or Oklahoma City or, you know, uh, Billings, you know, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, places like that. There's been a, a history of Democrats trying there. There isn't the same with liberals in Calgary, Saskatoon, Regina. Yes, well, interesting analysis. It's just something I was curious about after, you know, watching those writings, the, the results come in a few months back. Well, I'm going to pass this over to Catherine, and she's going to pass it to Tim, and if there's some time or question left, I may grab another one. Catherine? Thanks for being on tonight, Evan. We really appreciate it. It is Yeah, Evan, absolutely. Right? It's my pleasure. Um, I'm going to ask you a quick question to set things up. Can you explain how your model works? So we – uh, so the way the way our model works is we do top-down extrapolation from national polls, uh, both in terms of the national environment from a, you know, Biden is leading Trump by seven points, you know, Hillary won by two points, you know, five-point swing, and move everything, but also demographic extrapolation, trying to figure out what the uh, demographics of a place suggest its voting pattern should be. In Canada, we've had great success. In Canada and the UK, we had great success with that because there were some areas that were – Historically, partisan one way or the other, that were not – that had demographics that suggested should not be the case anymore. And in both elections, we saw uh, historically uh, like conservative writings in Canada voting for the liberals and historically uh, left-wing constituencies in the UK voting for uh, the conservatives. And so we do demographic extrapolation based on uh, a suite of uh, vote intention – polling questions by uh, race race and education uh, demographics. And then we, we project, okay. we, we combine those, we combine, we combine uh, the demographics and the sort of state partisanship metrics that we have, combine them into a model and it spits out a median expectation or an average expectation, I should say, of what a state should vote or how a state should vote given the uh, demographic inputs and then the uh, national polling lead. Wow, that sounds that's really really um, uh, comprehensive. I guess is the word. Thank you yeah, very no. much. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to pass it to Tim. He's going to pass it back to David. It may come back around to me, but for now, we're going to Tim. Uh, good evening, Evan, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, Enjoy it. All eyes are turned toward three states just to the south of you, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Of the three, which do you see as the most likely to flip back blue this year? So we the we, we think it's Michigan pretty we think it's Michigan pretty clearly. Uh Gertrude mm-hmm. did extremely well in the twenty eighteen Governor's election, there's a Senate seat there, which Pennsylvania and Wisconsin do not have, so the Democrats are going to put even more money into the state to protect Gary Peters and to try and win the Senate majority. Um, uh-huh. Wisconsin's turning red. I mean, Tony Evers only won by a couple of percent when he was on the ballot in 20, uh, when he ran to beat Scott Walker in 2018. 
In Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, we have we have it that Michigan will be the most likely to flip. Pennsylvania is just slightly less likely to flip um, than Michigan, and then Wisconsin is um, considerably less likely to flip than the other two. Um, I think we have Michigan right now as we have Michigan flipping about 94% of the time on current data. Obviously, this can change, and we have Pennsylvania flipping about 81% of the time. So. Both of them are more likely than not to happen as of right now, but we do have Michigan as the most likely flip. Okay. Now, if all three states flip, notice you've uh, tinted Ohio a light blue. Does does those three states flipping mean that Ohio is definitely in play? It means it's definitely in play, yeah. Um, the most recent poll we have of Ohio um, was an NBC Marist poll, which had Biden up four, and the sort of strength that Joe Biden is showing that puts Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin both not just in play but, but in Democratic column pretty substantially, its performance with uh, white, white voters who do not have a college degree. And Joe Biden is tapping into – uh, Obama 2012 levels of strength with those voters in some polls, and if that holds through election day, that means Ohio is probably a toss-up, and mm-hmm. you know it's a, it'll be a, it'll be a coin flip either way. Now, if that's the, if Ohio is a coin flip, that means Donald Trump is not going to win the White House because the the other three states will flip, and that would be enough for for uh, for Joe Biden to be the next president. Yeah, yeah, I was about to ask you that very thing because uh, no Republican has ever won the presidency without winning the state of Ohio. So do you see an electoral combination anywhere that Donald Trump could tap into and still lose those four states? I can't find it. Can you? No, because he's not going to win Virginia. Uh, uh-huh. like, he would have to hold – he would have to hold – like he would have to hold Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, which are all questionable right now. He would have to find, but then he would also have to find. Uh, he would have to find two more batches of electoral college votes, and like Virginia, like Virginia and New Hampshire isn't enough. He's not going to win Maine based on what public evidence we have right now, and Susan Collins's extremely bad approval rating there isn't going to save him. Um, there is an accommodation that doesn't include Ohio and then it, – it, like it's Ohio and then you probably need Wisconsin too because I don't think the – I don't think the Democrats can – I don't think the GOP can can get a Virginia and that's the only sort of Democratic pocket of votes. Maybe Colorado, but I don't think they're getting Colorado either. And so the, the GOP don't have a bunch of pockets of votes they can go get. Maybe in Minnesota, but – if, mm-hmm. if if they lose Wisconsin, they're not winning Minnesota. So mm-hmm. it's really they need Ohio, like they need Ohio. Uh huh. Now uh, a lot of the talk down here uh, with the Biden candidacy is centered on who he might choose as his running mate. There's a seems to be a lot more interest in that this year than in a lot of other election cycles in the past. Do you see a pick he could make that would affect your model in a meaningful way, or would it still stay steady, do you think? I think if anybody were to have a chance to impact what the model says, I think it would be either Kamala Harris or uh, Stacey Abrams. If Uh an Abrams or Harris pick happens, which – 
you know, I'm, 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 I am recklessly speculating about those two names being in play, but there's a bunch of evidence uh-huh. there in play at the very least. Um, you could theoretically see black enthusiasm go up and black turnout go up. And so you would see greater strength in uh, sort of predominantly black areas and you could start to see um, like North Carolina would become more blue. Georgia would become more blue. Uh, the Eastern part of Texas, which is, uh, which shares a lot of the commonalities of, of the, of the deep South um, would, would, would trend more blue. And that would make, that would make Biden's chances better in terms of hurting his chances. I don't, you could maybe say that if you pick Sammy Klobuchar, you know, IE as an all white ticket, that that might hurt him in, it might hurt him with, with voters of color, but we have to like we don't have any evidence that a Klobuchar pick would do it. But I think the only chance that would be is if Abrams or Harris um, boosts black enthusiasm and black turnout to such an extent that um, Biden's leads with Biden's margins with black voters hits like Obama twenty two thousand eight or twenty twelve numbers and not Hillary's numbers, which were still very good but not quite as good as Obama's. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm like David. I can't let you go without asking one Canadian question because uh, I haven't seen a lot about this in the news, and and uh, the American people have followed this particular story in the past a lot. And it's about your separatist movement that you've had over the years up there, in, in, especially in you know Quebec and and, and Ontario. Um, is there still a strong separatist movement in Canada, and is it strong enough to affect your election models and the election itself? So we still have a movement, but the thing is, is that the parties that used to advocate for independence are now advocating for – they're essentially now regional parties that are just wanting more say uh-huh. in government as opposed to actively actively advocating for separation. Um, at the last election, uh-huh. uh, the old separatist party in Quebec um, rallied back to life. But a big part of the reason they rallied was because uh, I say this is a I say this is a sign of two um, two people uh, two parents from Quebec. People like my parents, who were anglophones, were staunch federalists, did not want Quebec to separate. There's not uh-huh. the same fear of the separatist party anymore because we all have sort of accepted that. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not the issue anymore. We're not actively looking for separation. We're just looking for some more power. And if these people were to sort of take take good election results for their sort of you know we want more power argument and tried to make an argument for separation, you would see those parties collapse back. So separation isn't really isn't really a political movement anymore. It's more of just a a thing for some cranky for some cranky old people who still remember 1995. Uh, as if it was yesterday. All right. right. Uh, Thank you for that, sir. Let me send it back to David. David? Yes. Well, I want to ask you uh, another question about the model and the way that it talks, uh, how you kind of put, you know, the House, the Senate, and the presidency all together. Um, I think a lot of folks, you know, just looking gut feeling without putting math into the equation, um, think that, you know, Democrats win the House, Democrats hold the Senate, but Democrats don't take – I'm sorry, Democrats win the House, Democrats win the presidency, and Democrats don't take back the Senate. But that's about the third most likely outcome in y'all's model. Kind of when y'all look at that, does that 
is that strictly numbers, or do y'all have the gut feeling too that it's going to be kind of all or nothing, one way or the other, before we have divided government again? I think it's. Hmm. I, so personally, I have the gut feeling that it's going to be all or nothing because, um, like, the 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 universe in which the GOP sort of like rally back to this. Like the, the the universe in which the GOP rally back is a universe where they have a very good night, and if they have a very good night, they're probably going to win the House at the same time. And in terms of the Senate for the Democrats, like Susan Collins is in a lot of trouble in Maine. Colorado is going to go Democrat. Mark Kelly is going to win Arizona. Like most recent polls have him up nine. Um, and then here, so that's 49 seats because the Democrats are going to lose Alabama. You, the Democrats just need to get one of the following states, North Carolina, where Tom Tillis is winning and winning pretty substantially. As of right now, out-fundraised his Republican opponent by $3 million last quarter. Kansas, where the most recent poll has the Democrat up to. Uh, Montana, where wow. the last poll had a tie, and Steve Bullock, the incumbent popular, the popular incumbent governor, is running for the Democrats. Texas, where we don't have a lot of Senate polling there, but there's a bunch of evidence to suggest that the state's going to be close. Uh, Georgia, if John Ossoff can beat David Perdue, which the most recent poll of that race says he's going to do by one. Like, the Democrats just need to get one of those states. Maybe throw in Iowa, which I didn't even mention. Maybe throw in the Senate special election in Georgia, which uh, the polling doesn't look as good for the Democrats right now, but, you know, that could change with, with time. Um, Democrats just have to get one of those. They just have to get maybe one or two of those if Susan Collins were somehow to hold on in Maine. And that's the thing. Like, the GOP uh, the GOP have to get five coin tips. Like, at best, the GOP have to get five coin tosses to go their way. And that's a really unlikely thing to happen. Mm. Uh, and, and wow. I noticed in the model you have Georgia divided red and blue. Um, and I guess the blue was that – you know, either Teresa Tomlinson or John Ossoff knocking off uh, David Perdue, or was that the Democrats have the most votes in the first round in that special election, and then it goes to a special election, and of course everything changes. Uh, no, so we have John Ossoff winning the we have George, we have John Ossoff winning the regularly scheduled November election, and then we have the GOP, presumably Doug Collins, although I guess I should include the chance that's Kelly Loeffler. Um, beating the Democrat in the uh, in the Senate special, partially because of turnout effects. You know, a I believe it's January third or fifth um, Senate special is going to have substantially. It's going to pro. It's going to have lower turnout, which probably means a whiter electorate than the November general election. And um, the the polls right now are saying that, that Doug Collins would win that runoff by ten to twelve points. So. Um, yeah, as of right now, we we think the we think the Senate seats will split, and the fact that the Senate the the fact that the Senate special would be on a day six eight weeks I can't remember the exact timing after the election is not good for the Democrats. Yeah, I, I think Democrats could easily like Raphael Warnock if he you know kind of catches fire and becomes the candidate and kind of squeezes out Matt Lieberman and Ed Tarver, then he may be the leading vote getter on the primary ballot, but then the Republican would be, you know, right there with him in the runoff, very likely Collins. Uh, I agree. Kelly Loft spent many, many minutes of air time leaving her for dead already. Uh, well, one final question, and that would be, you probably model uh, lean toss-ups is the most bullish on the state of Texas. Uh, there was a poll came, that came out 
this weekend that showed uh, Donald Trump still leading Texas by four, although apparently it had like 16% of African-American voters, 40% of Latino voters supporting Donald Trump, which was brought into question. Um, why are y'all so bullish on Texas? Because the white vote in Texas, was a, there was a 17% swing to Joe Biden from, Donald, from Hillary Clinton's baseline with white voters in Texas per that poll. I fundamentally do not believe that Donald Trump is going to get 16% of the African-American vote and he's going to only lose Hispanics by 10%. If that happens, I'll be wrong and I'll look like an idiot. But if you take <laughs> Donald, if you take that polls, if you take the Joe Biden-Donald Trump poll and just take their white voter results, move the margins in with, non, uh, with black voters and Hispanic voters just to what Hillary Clinton did in 2016, Joe Biden's winning in that poll. I don't fundamentally believe that you are going to see Joe Biden. Like, I just don't think Joe Biden's going to do 18, 17, 18 points worse with black voters than Hillary Clinton did. And I don't believe Joe Biden's going to do 20-ish points worse than Hillary Clinton did with Hispanics. And if Joe Biden can recreate, if Joe Biden can recreate Obama-era strength with white voters and put together like if he can recreate it with with white coat voters without a degree can 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 ex, can can extend the sort of suburban strength of the Democrats from Beto O'Rourke's 2018 campaign and just get 2016 levels of turnout and support amongst Afri- uh, most African American and, and Hispanics, the state says. Hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, can I jump in with a question? Go right ahead. Um, Evan, you in your model, it, it well, it, you're showing an electoral landslide, and and I know the old adage that, um, you know, landslides don't stop at state lines. Um, is that basically what we're talking about here? A, a Biden sweep of all the battleground states all the way across the country? I mean, as of right now, yeah. If Donald Trump can can put can 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 close the gap, then yes, you might see a better you might you might see Donald Trump you know take a lead back in Texas or Georgia or uh, Ohio. But as of right now, like we you know we had a bunch of state polls last week, a couple of polls from Florida, some polls of the of the the, the, the three battleground Midwest states that we were talking about earlier. There hasn't been a good poll for Donald Trump in two weeks. There hasn't been a good poll from a rep, like from a good, strong, uh, like independent pollster, since a Fox News poll had them tied three weeks ago. But then Fox released a bunch of state polls, which contradicted that national poll. You know, we're seeing we're seeing just strength after strength for, for Joe Biden. And I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to politicize the coronavirus. Like, obviously, I just wish everyone is, you know, the best health outcomes. But Donald Trump doesn't get to spend the next seven months. He certainly lost a month of it now, and he's going to continue to as he has to deal with coronavirus. He isn't going to be able to do popular things to try and bring his lead back or to try and claw at Joe Biden's lead because he's having to focus on putting out this fire as opposed to being able to actively or I should say proactively make popular steps to win the election if he's focusing on the the, the fire that is handling coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, he could come back, but he needs yeah. he, he needs to change it, and he's not changing it. Okay, thank yeah, you, sir. Um, David, you back? And I apologize, Evan. I don't know if my face touched the hang-up button or I just lost connection, which I think is what happened. But I apologize for that. But 
Tim stepped right in. And we do have one final question we always ask all our guests if they are in that situation. Where can people read these forecasts, either social media or directly from a site? So um, thank you for doing this. Um, you can follow the site at Lean Tossup on Twitter, L-E-A-N-T-O-S-S-U-P, uh, leantossup.ca. Uh, we update the model essentially any time there's a new poll that's worth updating for. Um, we tweet out the updates on my Twitter, on our Twitter accounts, uh, and then follow me on Twitter at Scrimshaw, and then follow my partner, the, the real genius behind the website and behind all the great models that we've been using. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Robert Martin LT. Um, I basically do the he, he does all the he does all the math work and then I just I just I just use his math to make hopefully coherent uh, opinions. <laughs> well, you definitely did tonight, um, Evan. We thank you for coming on. Hopefully, it is uh, the race um, you know gets further down the train tracks. We'll have you back on again if you're so willing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would be uh, it'd be an honor to be able to come back on the show. Thank you so much. All right. Thank, thank, you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. That was Evan Scrimshaw out of uh, Canada, Lean Tulsa. Uh, just a fascinating you know, model site. There's so many of these, but they have a lot of extensive um, math behind theirs. I mean, the way he broke down Texas <laughs> of a poll that's not like two days old um, kind of tells you how well they know the numbers. And they know the facts, so um, it's not just, um, you know, random gut speculation. Um, Guys, before we get into our final topic uh, that I wanted to discuss, you know, I did watch something on CBS Sunday morning, and it was something kind of, you know, Evan brought up about, you know, what can Donald Trump change up this race? And they were kind of showing all these cut-ups of, um, when Donald Trump, you know, downplayed the virus, downplayed the virus, and they did mention impeachment. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if Donald Trump, he could have used the looming coronavirus as a way to try to defend himself against the impeachment or all of the news coverage of it. But he never did that. If he would have been sitting there every time they brought up impeachment and said, well, we've got to focus on this coronavirus that's coming – and, and he had all this tape of him talking about the coronavirus. Instead of completely downplaying it, it would have helped him electorally, and he really missed an opportunity. Tim, it sounds like you saw that that um, piece they did on CBS Sunday morning. This morning. Yeah, yeah, it, it did, and it, and it was pretty damning stuff. And it, and it just goes back to the mindset of Donald Trump that we were talking about before our, our guests came on. He he just never believed this 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 was a thing. You know, I mean, he thought he, he he thought nothing would happen, nothing would 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 go on. That this wouldn't blow up. We got this under control. Yeah. I've got this under control. Not we. I've got this under control. And he sat there for six six to seven weeks, uh, and, and did nothing. And that's been the story of what has occurred in this country, his failure to do that. And that's what he, he's going to be most remembered for. That's why he just is so desperate to get the economy back going before the election. Because if he doesn't have that to talk about and people say, wait a minute, this is your fault because you sat there for six or seven weeks and did nothing, I, I just uh, – I, I I don't I don't see how he can can win. I, I don't I I don't. 
Yeah, I just saw that and thought it was a missed opportunity. Well, now for that final topic, and Catherine, I'm going to come to you first on this one. There have been protests all across the country, um, you know, protesting, um, you know, the lockdown or, or the stay-at-home orders and closing of different businesses, and it doesn't matter if it's a red state or a blue state. People even protest in New York. Um, one thing that I found, you know, sad but yet fascinating is in a lot of northern states, including your home state of Michigan, um, people carrying Confederate flags to these protests. One, this virus has nothing to do with anything that's about the Confederate flag. And two, those people really have no clue what history is, given that I'm sure there were many regiments of Michigan that fought Confederates to try to keep the Union one cohesive body. Yeah, it's kind of a mystery, but, uh, you know, there's there's rednecks everywhere. <laughs> Just <laughs> might call them by different th- we might call them by different things, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of looking uh, for some kind of symbolism that's contrary to uh, the status quo, and that Confederate flag is one thing. Um, I don't understand, uh, and I think this is a huge failure of, uh, leadership, not just in the, with the president, but just sort of, uh, leadership across the board. Um, generally I, I, you know, because I'm, uh, in my democratic bubble, I tend to blame Republicans more than Democrats, but I think there's probably enough to share. Um, people are frustrated and everyone is frustrated and scared and, uh, doesn't know what's don't know. People don't know what's going to happen. And so they feel like this is that their re some people's reaction is to strike out against these closures because they're not sick and maybe they don't see a lot of people who are sick. So they feel like it's just a big, you know, not hope, not hope, but um, it's not having an impact on that, their lives. So they should be able to get out and do things. And we don't have, we haven't had leadership, certainly nationally. And in some cases, um, regionally and state and municipally explains in a, careful and, un, and and compassionate way why this is this is so important. You know, we have some examples of it with Fauci, less so with Burke, but you still have to really pay attention to what Fauci is saying. And if you don't understand some of the language or if you don't have time to watch the press briefings, I mean, I just think we have we have that leadership to blame for these protests, if you can call them that. Well, I mean, they're protests. I mean, they're, they're, they're not intelligent, but they're protests. Oh, I don't know. I think, question, Catherine. I think when, <laughs> I think when people bring weapons to, to a um, rally, that's more than a protest. 
That's well, okay. Terrible. I thought you meant they don't rise to the level of protest. You mean they go beyond the protest? I was like, I guess if yeah. one person walks with a sign on a street corner, it's protest. It's just not a you know well attended one. I thought you meant it didn't rise to the level of. You went I mean oh, no, past. I, oh well, let me ask you another question, went, and that is. Michigan, uh, a lot of people have claimed, and they kind of spoofed this on Saturday Night Live, but I, but I think they spoofed it with some biting political satire. Um, you know, almost every every state has virtually had some type of um, you know shelter in place order, and different states have been a little more restrictive than others based on their situation. We know Michigan's one of the top five worst situations, um, but Gretchen Whitmer's probably come under more criticism than maybe any other governor do you think that is because she is female unlike gavin newsom andrew cuomo uh you know the governor of ohio whomever i think it's partly because she's a woman i think it's partly um i mean i think it's hard to uh compare california and new york to michigan i mean i just think there's you know, two very I mean, well. Detroit's a huge metropolitan area too, so I guess he could do that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is because she's a, you know, kind of a fierce woman, and um, she's not backing down. You know, she she extended the uh, shelter in place for longer, even after these uh, protests. So um, yeah, I, and and I think. Probably also the nature of Michiganders to be um, angry <laughs> lately. Yeah. Well, well, Tim, I'm going to turn to you about these protests, and the one I'll ask you about is Wisconsin's was really, really well attended. This is a state that, of course, just held the election that was much criticized. We know obviously people did not want to go out and vote in it, but when they voted, they stood in lines. People were tightly, tightly packed together, and then even their GOP chair had to send out something saying, you know, if you want to protest these orders, and he was sort, sort of supportive, he was like, you know, leave your Confederate flags rifles at home. Um, it's kind of the same question. Why is all of these things that have nothing to do with, you know, supposedly saying, look, I want to go work and make money, why is bringing assault rifle – or uh, historical Confederate battle flag, a part of that. Well, it's dog whistle politics. Obviously, it uh, it uh, it sends out a message to uh, you know a, a lot of people that the president needs to support him. Uh, rural voters, in the case of you know the the. Confederate flags and the Confederacy, and of course he wants a strong turnout in places like the Panhandle of Florida that he desperately needs to win that state. Uh, the rural areas of, which, of 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 the three states we talked about with our guests, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, the, those rural areas have to overvote for him as heavily as they did in 2016 for him to be able to win those three states. And, and of course, you know the gun culture is definitely, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a part of you know 
conservative theology, as it were now. So uh, I'm not surprised to see those things show up there, and I'm not surprised to see the big crowd in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a very close state, as our as our guest said, uh, of 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 Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. It is easily the most likely of the three states to stay red, uh, recent elections notwithstanding. Uh, so, I, so I wasn't surprised to see what I saw there at all. Yeah, it was a, you know, the visuals were definitely um, different than a lot of other states. Um, but maybe scary in some ways, but I mean, and, and some of the pictures they actually look better attended than Donald Trump's inauguration. To be honest, but, um, but, doing something building a crowd. But 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 I want everybody to remember that eighty percent of the American people right now totally in favor of the decision to shelter in place and the social distancing guidelines, and 60% of the American people are by more, better than two-to-one margin uh, are opposed to reopening most businesses right now in this country. So those people are protesting, but they are not a majority of anything. They are a clear minority. Oh, definitely so. And actually, they're showing how a lot of older Americans that might be more inclined to vote Republican are, are supporting Joe Biden in not majority numbers, but in bigger numbers than they did in 2016 supporting Democrats. And so um, mm-hmm. he's losing voters that are going to show up. Some of these folks, you know, the guy holding the sign, hey, morons, get a Brian. Um, I don't know if the guy that needs wants everybody to get a Brian is going to be able to show up on election day. Can he find the polling place, <laughs> or will he have to have Brian tell him uh, where it is? You know. So I just wonder. Well, guys, it's been a great show once again. To Evan Scrimshaw next week, we already have our guest locked in, Daily Coes, someone that's been on many times, but it's been quite a while. It's been too long. Uh, David Near has agreed to come back and be with us next week. Oh, great. Yeah. Until then, been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, night, y'all. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion.